In mid-December 2021, the Portland Thorns selected their first college draft pick for the 2022 season, number 13 overall, Sydney Nacello. Nacello's social media was rife with incendiary commentary, such as retweeting Charlie Kirk's argument that, quote, biological males should be kept out of women's sports, support for Donald Trump's border wall, and skepticism about where Barack Obama was born. Immediately backlash from the Rose City Riveters, the Thorns supporters group vehemently criticized the Thorns for this selection. It is worth noting that the fan base for the Thorns is very LGBTQIA affirming, and when supporters gather to watch a Thorns game, the north end of Providence Park might be the gayest place in Portland, if not the West Coast, for that 90 minutes plus stoppage time. The fans were pissed. In addition, 2021 brought light to the organization's under rug swept treatment of abuse perpetrated by former coach Paul Riley, who was incredibly permitted to work for another National Women's Soccer League team, even after his termination from Portland. To fans of the Thorns, Nacello's hiring was the nail in the coffin for how the corporate component of this team feels about respecting the culture Portland has formed around women's soccer. In short, the Thorns let the players endure abuse and now had drafted a player who espouses dangerous transphobic rhetoric online. The professional decision of the Portland Thorns front office became extremely political and extremely personal for players and fans alike. Nacello apologized on Twitter and then locked her account, so not only is her apology hidden, but so are her controversial opinions. But is backlash against Sydney Nacello even fair if she otherwise conducts herself professionally on the pitch? Doesn't she have a right to her beliefs or does being a professional athlete change that expectation? Extra, extra, read all about it. Podcast tackles controversies that define your world. Listen to Indubitably now. Extra, extra, read all about it. Today, we will be looking into the many ways that political beliefs of athletes are expressed and restricted both on and off the track, field, court, stadium, pool, pitch, and everything in between. I'm Kelly. And I'm Josh. And welcome to Indubitably. So Josh, what kind of sports do you like to watch? Well, my current sport, if you want to call it that, as opposed to activity or adventure, if I want to sound cool, is rock climbing. And that's not on television very often. But I did used to play tennis and coach a lot of tennis. So I do enjoy watching tennis on TV. I'm also a pretty big fan of the NBA, both of which have had some controversies when it comes to players expressing their opinions in the public. Mm -hmm. Which NBA team is like your team? Oh, man, I've gone through a gambit. I started getting serious about basketball probably four or five years ago, and I didn't want to be a bandwagon fan. So I didn't want to like the Warriors. And I was from LA. And so I didn't want to like the Lakers out of spite because everybody liked the Lakers. I was liking the Celtics for a while because I was a big fan of Kyrie Irving. Note the past tense, which we'll talk about <laughs> later. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, so I, I suppose the long, long answer short, probably the Denver Nuggets. I don't think I've had any controversy around them. So not useful for this episode. Okay. I'm supposed to like the trailblazers in Portland, but mm. I don't like basketball like at all. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, we will talk about basketball today, but I, I think besides that, there's there's definitely other sports that are rife with examples that are pertinent to this conversation. You've already brought up soccer in our intro. And then the obvious example is going to be Colin Kaepernick in the NFL. Mm-hmm. That's just been a lightning rod for controversy, both criticism, support, and even commercialization of his kneeling. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Obviously I am pretty passionate about soccer specifically the Portland variety of soccer, mm-hmm. but most of these controversies for athletes outside of soccer are pretty prominent. And I'm pretty familiar with a lot of them as well. I think it's a really interesting intersection of where professional obligations and personal beliefs kind of hit a controversial point that they don't in other forms of employment. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a celebrity factor that is so unique to to sports, unlike a lot of other things, because I could just not watch one movie if I dislike somebody's political beliefs who's in the movie. But if I dislike an athlete who's on my favorite team, what do I do with that? Because they could be on that team for years, right? Yeah, or or even entire leagues. The the NBA has taken a relatively strong stance in allowing its athletes to speak out on issues. In 2020, they even went so far as to let players replace their names 
with messages on their uniforms. These messages are things like Black Lives Matters, I Can't Breathe, Si Se Puede, Say Her Name, and a number of other, importantly, league-approved phrases. And for the start of that season, 300 of the league's 350 active players replaced their names on their jerseys. So if you're maybe not as politically inclined as a lot of those players, but you otherwise like basketball, that might make for a hard decision about whether or not you're still going to give them your attention, your money, uh, everything. Yeah, these these sorts of actions, and that's along with athletes taking to social media or using press conferences to talk about political issues, obviously has upset some people who seem to think, you know, athletes should stick to playing sports. As one news anchor put it, speaking indirectly to LeBron James, shut up and dribble. How rude. (laughs) My good men, speak if you will. So this discussion about the beliefs of players and what is supported by their employers, these leagues, these teams is really interesting because everybody has free speech by default, you know, in most societies where there are protections for individual liberties that pertain to speech and freedom of thought and things like that. So what exists that uniquely restricts athletes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's always been weird to me that athletes are are singled out. Why does a dentist or an accountant have the right to form an opinion on these issues, but a tennis player does not have that right? Well, a dentist and an accountant might have these beliefs, but I just probably won't hear about them. So I have like no idea if my dentist is transphobic. Mm. But what I guess my point is, it's oftentimes the person who's criticizing the player, what makes them think that they're in a position that they have the right to have these opinions, but the player doesn't, right? What is their job that gives them this unique insight into the political spectrum that is somehow denied to a professional athlete? That's interesting. Yeah, I guess the part of their personhood that gives them those individual rights, the freedom of thought maybe diminish in the eyes of people who think that athletes just have the one purpose, which is to be athletes and nothing more. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure, but for this episode, at least, I think that we've broken this down roughly into two potential relationships that athletes might have that could suggest a justifiable restriction on their freedom of speech and what they may or may not be able to say, or how they may or may not be able to become politically involved. And those two relationships are one, the relationship between the player and the league that they play for or the team that they play on, and two, the relationship between the player and the fans. And those two things are also related because obviously the opinions and interest level of the fans have a direct financial impact on the teams and the organizations, and in a lot of cases, the players themselves. So first, let's focus on what corporations can legally restrict when it comes to the conduct and speech of their employees, which technically, in most cases, a lot of these professional athletes are corporate employees. Mm -hmm. And under contract. And even, even for sports like tennis, where it's a bit unique being an individual sport, they are contractually obligated to certain things by virtue of them participating in the various tournaments that they play in. So I think first, it's important to maybe start from a context that we're familiar with, which is the American context, because we here assume that freedom of speech is absolute, which we know it's not. There are limitations, like you can't shout fire in a crowded theater, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But if you're not putting somebody in danger, then you're good to go. But one thing that Americans absolutely have a hard time getting their mind around is that the interactions that they have with their employers are not the kinds of interactions that are protected by the Constitution. So your employer usually can restrict your speech in a way that the government can't because your government and your corporation are probably different entities most of the time. Yeah, usually. And a lot of that stuff is outlined in your initial contract, though, certain things that you are or are not allowed to say, whether it be political speech or disclosing of sensitive information that you might be a party to, et cetera. Yeah, what was really interesting, I didn't realize until after I'd had my job for some time, is that I'm actually not supposed to post anything which sport teams I support at my desk. Really? As a part of it, yeah, they didn't want this to have any sort of like advocacy for one sport team or another. <laughs> Are they afraid you're going to start cross office rivalries? 
perhaps I have no idea, but I, um, I was, I have a, I had a lot of stuff at my desk for the timbers surprise. And I was told that that actually didn't fly. Mm. Did they make you take it down? No. <laughs> Very serious about it. But yeah. I, I, it was that, so that was something that was included in the contract though. Just not really, you didn't really notice it or pay too much attention to it. Yeah. But there were other things I did pay attention to. Like we are permitted to wear religious symbols at work. We're permitted to have piercings and tattoos and dye our hair, whatever color we want, but we're not allowed to do like campaigning for political parties while we're on the clock. Those are the Mm -hmm. sorts of limitations that we have, which, you know, they are a restriction on my freedom of speech, but they're understandable and reasonable. And that's something I think that it would be interesting to note here when we're talking about professional athletes when are they on the job mm-hmm. and when are they not? Because of course, legally, maybe corporations are able to restrict something that a player says during the game. They can't just go over to the umpire and start talking about their political leanings. I mean, among among many things they're not allowed to talk about, but there seems to be a blurring of the lines between when they're on the clock and then when they're just exercising their own personal rights to express their opinions, whether it be on social media or or press conferences or whatever. Right. It's almost as if every time they're in a place where they can be observed by the public, they are acting as a representative of those organizations in a way that most other people who are employed wouldn't be expected to advocate for or behave under a certain standard for their employer. Mm -hmm. If I go to the grocery store and start making things awful for people, people are probably not going to call my boss about it. Right. And maybe that's what's unique about professional athletes is yeah, the just the level of celebrity. But there's standards for what they should or should not be able to say legally. There's standards for what they should or should not be able to say contractually. But then also we have the, if you want to call it court of public opinion, where if Kyrie Irving posts something on his Twitter, does the team have a right to take exception to that? Or is that his personal life? I think there's an interesting distinction there. I think a lot of that distinction comes up because of the types of ways that the public and other corporations also interact with athletes. Like there are sponsorships at stake and there are viewers at stake and all of these things are very fickle. So an athlete who does something unflattering in public, not only risks their own personal reputation, but could cause a sponsor to pull out of a certain contract that might have been lucrative and maybe even sustained a team or a player's livelihood. Again, a lot of times those things are laid out when these athletes sign contracts with their sponsors in the first place. So a lot of these endorsement deals have morality clauses, for example. And so someone like Tiger Woods, something that's happening in his personal life that might be seen as scandalous for most people, that would be their own business. For him, it does impact his career and his professional relationships as well. So there's definitely a, a greater blurring of lines for professional athletes and, and the things that they can do on their quote-unquote own time as compared to the rest of us mere mortals. Yeah, every player who signs these contracts, assuming a lot of them actually read them or at least have their lawyers do it, agree to the terms of the contract. In, even if they're boilerplate, they still... Mm-hmm. They still say, I accept that part of my deal about being employed here is that I align with certain behavioral expectations. So it's a limiting of their speech, but it's also kind of a self-imposed limiting of their speech. Right. And this is similar, I guess, to actors or actresses. I'm, I'm thinking of the actress from The Mandalorian working under Disney that got canceled because they weren't super thrilled about some of the comments that she made. You know, so I, I suppose there's a lot of parallels there between celebrities in the movie industry and professional athletes. Mm-hmm. But you didn't read that part of your contract. If if your lawyer had told you that you're not allowed to represent the Timbers when you're at work, would you have still taken the job? Well, absolutely. It's a really great job. <laughs> and I think that's probably the same calculus that athletes use. Like, I I think that if the option is to be a New York Yankee, or to be very staunch in your beliefs and poor, like you're going to be be the Yankee, right? But is it? Do you think it's hypocritical? So you supporting a particular sports team is one thing, but if a sports team, as a franchise or a league, as a corporation, has a particular political view, 
they don't really complain when the players make statements that are in line with the political view. Is it fair for them only to make a scene about it if the player is expressing values that might run contrary to that organization? Obviously, the organization wants its own values to get out there, but should they be allowed to do that? Is, is that not discriminatory? So this brings to mind one very interesting example when it comes to Surprise, Kelly's going to talk about another soccer player. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. I think I think these are examples that less people know about. Everybody knows about Colin Kaepernick. Everybody knows about some of the NBA examples, LeBron James. But it's good to hear some of the ones that aren't in as mainstream of media. Yeah. So um, Jaylene Daniels, who was Jaylene Hinkle at the time, was on the U.S. women's national team in 2017 when there was a training camp where the team kit, the team jersey for lay folk, had uh, the numbers for the players in rainbows for Pride Month, which Mm. U.S. Women's National Team, the NWSL, women's soccer as a whole is very LGBTQ friendly. But Jaylene decided that she could not in good conscience continue being on the team with that representation of inclusivity. So the league was imposing upon her a level of acceptance that she personally was not comfortable with and religiously was not comfortable with. So she withdrew from the team. And then when she went back and was playing in her regular NWSL games, she got really negative feedback from fans in the stadiums, got yelled at on the field and things like that. So on the matter itself, Jaylene said, I just felt so convicted in my spirit that it wasn't my job to wear this jersey. She said that on the 700 club, which is wild. (laughs) I've, I I just can't imagine soccer and the 700 club being in the same universe, but okay. I gave myself three days to just seek and pray and determine what he was asking me to do in this situation. I knew in my spirit, I was doing the right thing. I knew I was being obedient. But that's an interesting point because you're saying it seems strange for a very right wing or, or conservative Christian show to be combined with women's soccer. But if she was a professional football player, for example, in the NFL, it wouldn't seem strange at all. So should a person be forced to choose what sport they want to engage or participate in based on a need to assimilate to the political ideology of that sport in general? I guess it's so interesting because of the culture that surrounds women's soccer being so progressive compared to her beliefs that it's surprising that she was that staunch in them. And I guess that really is truly her belief. She's convicted in that stance and she didn't demand that the league do anything to accommodate her. She withdrew. And if you believe strongly about something like that, I guess that's the most appropriate measure to take. I don't understand that position myself, but it was important to her. If it was another, like you, you mentioned earlier that your job allows for you to wear religious dress. Were you so inclined? Sure. Don't you think that jobs in general have an obligation to provide reasonable accommodation for employees to stay true to their religious or political or whatever ideologies as long as they perform their job up to the standards? And obviously, her being a professional athlete making this team on the pitch, she did her job, is wearing a uniform that espouses a belief that she doesn't align with. Is that on in the job description? Should that be in the job description? Well, I think that's like what she said, that, that it isn't my job to wear the jersey. And so should she have to resign? Shouldn't they give her an alternate jersey with, I don't know, different colors? But they're all supposed to wear the same thing. That's the point of the uniform. Just, just take pink off the number and it's fine. Yeah, I guess. I guess. I mean, it's, I... It's not like the whole number, the whole jersey is different. I support the idea that people have a freedom of conscience and that they should not be forced to believe something that they are not ready to believe. And making her wear this kit would have been in violation of her conscience. So I actually, obviously, like I disagree with what her stance actually is, but I kind of support that she was resolute and that she probably shouldn't have been forced. I don't want people to just support things because they're being forced to by their employer. I want her to support the gay community of her own accord, not just like wear it performatively. So I guess I kind of like accept that this is what her stance was. And I think that quitting the national team was probably the best way to balance this. I think that the the most similar example might be what we referenced earlier, which was in the NBA, 
they allowed players to swap out the names on their jerseys for certain messages. And like I'd mentioned, 300 out of 350 players did that, but the league didn't force everybody to do that. So, so 50 players decided to stick with their names. And these are players like Paul George, James Harden, Dwight Howard, Kawhi Leonard, some, some really big name athletes. And I, I don't want to say obviously, but obviously I'm going to assume that they're supportive of movements like Black Lives Matters, but that doesn't mean that they have to be forced to publicly display it or wear some of these messages if they don't want to. And so why can't a women's soccer team do the same thing? Some players can get their letters in a certain color set and some players can get their letters in a different color set. Well, they were very big. They are very big numbers. So I don't think that that would have worked for cohesiveness, but maybe there was a different way that they could have accommodated this. Like there are times like a year or two ago, the head coach of the Portland Timbers, his father died. And so all the players wore an armband during a match to like pay homage to, to Gio's father. And maybe like that's something that they could have done for the LGBTQ community is to wear like a rainbow armband. And then if she didn't want to wear the armband, she was not actually like violating the uniform. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a way to make this happen, but an employer expecting you to have this view, which I consider to be like the tolerant view, but expecting it of you by making you wear the actual support for it. I think that's probably where employer expectations cross the line. That's at the root of political freedom is 99.9% of the country can believe a thing, but that 0.1% still has the right to believe something different. And even if they're not allowed to act on their belief, if it runs that contrary to the dominant narrative, certainly they don't, they shouldn't be forced to actively support something that they don't believe in. I think there's a difference there too. Hey, I'm just going to be quiet, stay out of the way. Y'all can do the thing that you want to do. I just don't want to be part of it. Yes. If we accept that a lack of participation in the dominant ideology of the team, the society or whatever is not actually harmful. If she's just saying, like, I don't want to like display a rainbow flag on my number. Is that harmful or is that just non-involvement? I'm curious too what the contract would look like. What clause in a contract would cover this sort of forced participation? I'm sure it would be something vague and ambiguous, sort of like a morality clause in a sponsorship deal that would just say, you know, you have to participate in whatever uniform or whatever movement the team decides as a whole to participate in. But even if something's in a contract, we've seen a lot of controversy, specifically this, this last year, when it comes to press conferences. And most professional athletes are obligated very clearly, not ambiguously, in their contracts to participate in press conferences. And I think the example maybe most people are familiar with was Marshawn Lynch. Mm -hmm. Famously showed up per his contract and just said, I'm, I'm just here. So I won't get fined. Hilarious. Part of me is like, good, good for him. Part of me is like, Mm -hmm. you know, you're being a child. And the other part of me is like, Hey, you know, if that contract is abusive or obviously you want to play the sport, are you being coerced into signing a contract? Right? Like just because you signed it, I don't know if you're forced into signing it. What's the alternative for him though? If he's going to be a professional football player, he's not going to go, what is he going to play in the XFL? Like (laughs) he doesn't have any options, but this is the, if this is the only place you can be employed as a professional football player, you are kind of coerced. Maybe the most preeminent example of that this past year. And uh, again, this is one from one of the less popular sports, but Kelly and I are bringing the heat when it comes to underrepresented sports in the media. In the sport of tennis, Naomi Osaka made major headlines when she refused to do press conferences after her matches at the French Open. And the French Open handled this really poorly, to be blunt, and had basically threatened her, you're under contract. If you don't participate in these press conferences like you've signed that you will, you're going to be fined. and to avoid all of this, she literally withdrew from the tournament and um, you know, gave up potentially millions of dollars, probably hundreds of thousands of dollars, and basically had just said, hey, I don't feel comfortable. 
my mental health has been under attack lately, and these press conferences certainly don't help. And so I would rather just drop out of the tournament if you're going to make me do it. It's totally understandable. I think a bigger conversation is happening in sports about mental health, and it's taking a few prominent cases like this to show how rigorous the expectations are upon people who are already there doing work by participating in these tournaments or competitions. And then they're expected to sit there and answer questions from people who I don't think they screen a lot of them. Right. And so they're being asked sometimes really invasive questions, things that can be stressful to be asked or uh, uncomfortable or even traumatizing. Right. And all of this is happening usually when you're at your lowest point. This is happening after you've lost the match oftentimes Mm -hmm. and you're already questioning yourself. Am I not good enough? Why did I do so terribly? Do I suck at this sport? Do I suck at life? And then you have a reporter coming in and asking, why did you suck at this sport today? (laughs) So you certainly see where she's coming from when, when she's saying, Hey, this is, this is not something that's great for this, the sake of my mental health. Mm -hmm. But like we talked about with Marshawn Lynch, Naomi Osaka is one of the highest paid athletes on the planet. She has the option of just withdrawing from the French open. There's a lot of other tennis players who are spending thousands of dollars to get to the tournament. And if they don't make it X number of rounds, they're actually losing money being a quote unquote professional tennis player. So maybe it's easy or she has the privilege of being in a position where she can drop out of the tournament, but that same option isn't available for other players that aren't as highly ranked or or not as highly paid. Yeah. Maybe also the position that gave her the privilege to be able to withdraw also makes the stress of the situation that much worse as well. Um, She's going to have people who ask her questions that they wouldn't be asking people that are not her. So it's a double-edged sword. Do they use swords in tennis? I don't know. (laughs) It looks like a sword. And (laughs) to be fair too, her money that she's made throughout her career has come from either her own sponsors or in terms of prize money from tournaments, they've come from tournament sponsors. And sponsors give money to tournaments to provide as prize money, among other things, because they can have their products displayed, not just during the matches, but also during the press conferences. Mm-hmm. I know in, <laughs> at the French Open, I think it's uh, Perrier water is neatly lined up along the table. Perrier. And I've never... Perrier, whatever, Perrier. Oh my I'm God, not, Perrier. I'm not bougie. I'm not bougie. Um, it's not bougie. So. It's, a, it's a language that has no class. It's just French. I drink tap water. So anyway, oh. or tape water. And I've never actually seen a player drinking their Perrier water, but it's there. So there is an argument to be made here too, that without the press conferences, there wouldn't be the money for any of the athletes to get paid. The tournaments wouldn't exist. And so they need to uphold their side of the relationship by engaging in these press conferences that gives the media the opportunity to A, display product, B, get viewership, et cetera, et cetera. It makes me think like, oh, I'm missing out on free Perrier. I definitely took a wrong turn in my youth somewhere. I could have I could have been <laughs> getting that free press conference water had I only been a professional tennis player. Obviously, my career didn't go so well if I can't even pronounce the name of it. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I only played at the tournaments that had Aquafina. Aquafina is okay. And this this conversation came up again in the Olympics, which we'll talk about a bit later in the episode with Simone Biles. Yeah, Simone Biles had a weird incident happen when she was performing one of her events and she felt like she had completely lost which end was up when she was in the air, um, which Mm. could be extremely dangerous. Like she could have landed wrong and like broken her neck or something. And so she um, ultimately throughout the tournament was feeling not at her best and was feeling stressed out and decided to withdraw, I believe from just one event, but still return for other events. And um, she was just ripped apart in the media about the weakness that she couldn't even just like keep it together. She's a bad representative of America, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. She is the worst, blah, blah, blah. And that one's a bit ridiculous. If if there's a legitimate safety concern, like not to belittle Naomi Osaka at all, but if she's feeling bad about herself and goes out and, and still plays a tennis match, she's not going to be at least physically injured with Simone Biles. Like there's a chance that she gets really sick. The stuff that they do is crazy. And we just sort of take it for granted 
that it's going to work out. But if you don't think what she's doing is serious, go try to uh, do a backflip off your couch and tell me how that works out for you. And then do that when you don't know which direction. I mean, I wouldn't know which direction is up if I tried that, even even without anything going on in my mind. I would actually contend that the Naomi Osaka thing actually does speak to safety issue too, because, you know, mental health and physical health are so closely linked. And not that I'm expecting that she would do anything dangerous to herself or others, but when people do not give themselves the appropriate space to have good mental health, bad things can happen. Mm -hmm. Mistakes can get made that can get people hurt. It's very much not given the due that it should be afforded in basically anybody's life, but especially with professional athletes when the pressure to perform is so high. And ironically, that pressure that they're feeling and responding to by saying, hey, we need to take a break is coming largely from the same people who are then criticizing them for taking that break, right? The, the fans. Mm-hmm. The fans. Yeah. Ironic, huh? That's the second relationship that we mentioned was alongside of the relationship between players and the various corporations or teams or leagues or organizations that they compete under is also the relationship between the players and the fans. So this is an interesting area that we were kind of alluding to earlier when it comes to the celebrity aspect of a lot of these athletes, that they are pop culture figures in a lot of ways, in addition to being employees of organizations. And as a result, a lot of fans have expectations of how they conduct themselves, but it also kind of varies depending on what sport they're they're performing in, because the different types of sports have different cultural upswellings around them that are kind of unique. Like the average NASCAR fan looks a lot different than the average women's golf fan. I'm assuming, I don't really know either of those sports that well. (laughs) I think that that's probably a safe assumption to make. And, you know, speaking of the NFL, we mentioned it earlier, but the obvious example, if we're going to talk about athletes making political statements would be Colin Kaepernick. We can't do this episode without bringing up his incident where you know, he decided to kneel during the national anthem and the world went apeshit. Because he was disrespecting the flag, Josh. This is what we were alluding to earlier, where if you if you have a female athlete on a women's soccer team that has more conservative views, she's ostracized by the fans. But in this case, if we have a athlete in a traditionally conservative fan base presenting a liberal view. He's also getting ostracized by a large portion of the fan base. Yeah, the NFL fan base is pretty moderate as an aggregate, but there are people of all different views that like football, and some of them were not a fan of his particular advocacy. I think there's also a question, is it different? Because he made an active statement. So when we were talking about Jaylene Daniels mm-hmm. earlier, she was just saying, hey, I don't want to be included in your active statement. Mm-hmm. But here, Colin Kaepernick is definitely making a statement of his own. I think there are a few factors that really led to the extreme reaction to his behavior that other athletes haven't endured who've done similar things. He was kind of the first to do it, I think, mm-hmm. made it kind of notable and led to a lot of immediate backlash. So when you see another player who does something similar but doesn't see that backlash, look at the differences. So I'm thinking of Megan Rapino, who is another soccer player. Mm-hmm. And um, she began to kneel in solidarity with Colin Kaepernick, but she was a white woman in, in a sport that has a much more progressive fan base and um, a much more female fan base. And all of these things led to a different kind of reaction because it was just a fundamentally different environment than the one that Colin Kaepernick initiated this action in. Right. And I think similar to that in the NBA, you saw entire teams kneeling in solidarity and, uh, you know, protesting the same things that Kaepernick was protesting, which is police brutality, mm-hmm. by the way, not protesting our troops or anything like that. Although the argument could be made that it's disrespectful of the flag and then through a series of logical leaps, therefore disrespectful of the troops. The transitive power of protest. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Regardless, the NBA protests were much more widely accepted mm-hmm. than Kaepernick's protests. And again, I think it comes down largely to what the fan base looked like. So a lot of players gained a lot of respect in the NBA. Rapino gained a lot of respect in the soccer world, whereas Kaepernick 
was struggling to find a job after these protests. And I know I've read all the articles that say, well, he's just not that good as a quarterback. And that's the reason he wasn't signed. But it's hard to believe that this didn't have anything to do with it as well. No, there's plenty of people who said he was still like in his prime. (laughs) And there was video of him like throwing the football after everything was said and done. And everyone's like, no, he's still quite talented, but Mm -hmm. you know, he's okay. He got Nike money now. So Mm -hmm. And this, yeah, and and that's what I I did mention earlier that this has even become commercialized to a certain point. It's mm-hmm. it's hard to not be a bit jaded when a company like Nike is like, look, we're doing the right thing by giving Colin Kaepernick this ad deal. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm sure Nike, I'm sure you're doing that just to be supportive and not because you think that it's going to make you millions of dollars. Known proponent of human rights and equality, Nike. Right. And this is what we mean when we say that the relationship that the fans have with the teams and their influence on the team or the leagues or sponsors' ability to make money, and therefore the athletes' ability to make money, means that if the fans take exception or are supportive of X political statement that's being made, it can have a major impact on the ability of the player to make that statement. I think the reaction of the fans towards the players and which types of protest or speech they accept is actually more acute with the idea of what the fans can do with their engagement in those, for lack of a better term, arenas when it comes to being customers of Mm -hmm. of the sports teams and the athletes themselves. Basically, everything is driven off that there are customers who either buy the tickets to attend the game or they watch the game on TV or they buy the product that is being sponsored during the game or on the athlete's uniform. The customer is really the core and that's what the fan is, is a customer. I think that's fair when it comes to the player making money or not. So if I'm a professional athlete and I want to say something and I know that that something is going to have an impact in the amount of money that I make through sales of my uniform, for example, if I still decide to make that statement, that's my choice. Hey, this is important to me. I want to put it out there, even if I take a financial hit. What's problematic or what complicates matters is that the team who employs them is also going to be losing money because of that statement. And so then the team or the league has an incentive to shut them up to make sure that revenue isn't lost. Exactly. And this, I think, is what I was getting to earlier as well with the idea of one film that has an actor I don't like in it is just one film I won't watch. But we're talking about something that is a perpetual relationship with fans, the cities that they're watching these games in. The players on these teams can be on the teams for, you know, a decade in some cases. I mentioned earlier, Kyrie Irving used to be my favorite player. And I I think that he is the most skilled player potentially in the NBA. And I think he's definitely the the player in the NBA that's the most fun to watch. And I loved his Uncle Drew commercials that he did a few years ago. I thought those were amazing. And then he just started getting a little bit nutty, in my opinion. And I was like, "Ah, I can't, he can't be my favorite player because of opinions he holds off the court. So he's he's a very staunch anti-vaxxer, for example. And right now he plays or he doesn't play for the Brooklyn Nets. And because he refuses to get vaccinated, he's not allowed in public places in New York, which of course includes the arena that he's supposed to practice and compete in. And so the team said, hey, we're not going to have you on the team when you're not going to practice and you can't play any of our home games and you just play away games in cities that will allow you. So they've effectively benched him. And the reason for that is just he doesn't believe in vaccination. He thinks the world is flat. I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff that I don't agree with. And so, you know, me as a fan, I'm, I'm like, ah, he, he can't be my favorite player anymore. I'm not telling him not to say it. Mm-hmm. That's the caveat. If he wants to say that stuff, he wants to believe that stuff. That's his opinion. But I don't have to like him for it. Sure. Do you think that a lot of people, if they love the sport, are they willing to overlook a lot of those things because the success of the team is so much more important to them? I'm thinking about particularly Aaron Rodgers or the Green Bay Packers, who apparently was immunized, mm. <laughs> but not vaccinated, got COVID, and he's still uh, he's still on the team. Mm-hmm. Well, we've been making some 
analogies to the entertainment industry and not to take us too far off track, but Michael Jackson, Mm. right? Sometimes it's hard to say, Hey, I really like what you're doing professionally, but I'm not a big fan of what's going on personally. And, And again, though, there's, there's a difference between me not wanting to consume the performances of these people, whether it's athletically or musically or cinematically, and me coming out and saying, hey, I don't think you should be able to believe these things, or I don't think you should be able to say these things. They can say whatever they want. Not the Michael Jackson example, but <laughs> when it comes to Kyrie Irving, he can say whatever he wants, but I, I don't have to buy tickets or buy a jersey or something like that. I think a lot of people will keep buying the jersey and the tickets if the sport is that important to them. I think I think people are willing to overlook a lot. I think that the unique thing about like the Colin Kaepernick situation is that it was such a charged issue. But there are other things that athletes do that are a little less third rail and people will still be okay with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so for, for this conversation, we've been talking a lot about professional athletes, relationships between corporations and them and, and fans and financial implications. The other world in which this is relevant would be with usually amateur athletes in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think you can talk about athletes protesting without bringing up the Olympics. And when you, when you think of protests at the Olympics, you probably think of Tommy Smith and John Carlos, the two African-American sprinters, each standing on the medal podium with black gloved fists raised during the playing of the U.S. national anthem. This iconic image that I'm sure we've all seen happened during their medal ceremony in Mexico City on October 16th in 1968. Yeah, that was such a dramatic situation because the Olympics are supposed to be apolitical and the organizers determined that it was so off the mark of the purpose of the Olympics that they were actually expelled from the remainder of it. They did not have to get their give their medals back, mm. but I think a lot of people do think that they, they had to. But it's hard to conceptualize of that the people who are basically making a stance for racial equality are too political to partake in sports. Mm-hmm. And that ban on political statements at the Olympics is actually upheld as recently as Tokyo 2020. Mm-hmm. And this is Rule 50 that states that, quote, no kind of demonstration or political, religious, or racial propaganda is permitted in any Olympic sites, venues, or other areas. And I think it's just a little bit rich and at least slightly hypocritical considering that the Olympics themselves are used as a political tool by nations. Mm -hmm. The most famous example of this is probably Berlin in 1936, which is commonly referred to as the Nazi Olympics, where many in the German government saw this as a chance to display the superiority of the Aryan race, hopes that were destroyed by Jesse Owens, who of course was the African-American athlete who won four gold medals in various track events. More recently, There's been some pretty serious politicization of the bidding process. And even just in the last couple of months, the United States, for example, announcing their diplomatic boycott of the Chinese 2022 Winter Olympics. Yeah, it is pretty interesting that the Olympics as an apolitical event and the International Olympics Committee as an apolitical organization are so incredibly political that they can't really square that with their policies towards players and athletes. Nations can do whatever they want. They can use the Olympics as propaganda and nationalist rallying points, but you can't talk about equality when you're on the podium. That's bad. To be fair, though, they did ask the athletes themselves what they thought of Rule 50 and whether or not it was going to be upheld in Tokyo. And actually, 70% of athletes support the ban. They want to keep politics out of the Olympics. I'm not sure that matters for the other 30%. I think that if you pulled a lot of things, a lot of groups, a lot of organizations, most people probably would not want politics to be involved, but they're probably the people who may not be like affected (laughs) by the politics Mm -hmm. in a lot of cases. Like it's really important for a lot of people that when they're on a national and international stage, like the Olympics, that's their one opportunity to really get the world's attention. Okay, but to be and then to be fair though, if you just won the gold medal at I don't know, synchronized swimming, whatever. And then this fucking person who got the bronze displays some sort of protest, that's ruining your moment. 
the attention is going to be on them. Well, with the Tommy Smith and John Carlos moment, there was the silver medalist from Australia whose name escapes me. And everybody assumes that he was just passively standing there and his moment was being ruined, the white guy at the podium. But he actually wore a button in solidarity with the statement that those two guys were making, which I think actually hurt him professionally as a result. I think that if we care enough about the people around us in these events and look beyond the nationalism of it and look beyond the personal success of it and recognize that human rights might be a major issue. I personally would be willing to yield some of my attention, some of my moment towards a, an ideal that was bigger than me. Right. But what if it's a cause that you don't support that they're protesting and now your moment is ruined by that? In that case, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, it, and that's the point. Is it at an international event, mm-hmm. the odds that you are even aware of or agree with the thing that's being protested, right? You have countries that hate each other and mm-hmm. populations that are diametrically opposed to each other that could potentially be standing on the podium at the same time. US, Russia, China, boom. <laughs> like, and isn't that the point of let's keep this about the sports? Let's keep this about solidarity and let's put those differences on a back burner just for this period of time. And then we can go back to hating each other in the normal political forums when the Olympics are over. Like just chill out for a couple of weeks. I don't know. I still think that even if we love sports and the success of athletes, it's not the biggest thing. Mm. And those conversations might not have any other chance to happen, even if people are really opposed and some of the things being espoused are things that are reprehensible. Mm -hmm. When else can we have like the Olympic village could be this amazing meeting of the minds. When are so many people who are generally, like you said, a lot of the times amateurs, when do they get a chance to talk to that many people from different cultures, different experiences like that to talk politics, to talk ideologies? All right. But let's look at say 1936. And we mentioned Jesse Owens was able to disprove this farce of the superiority of the Aryan race. Let's say he hadn't been there. Let's say he or he'd lost. And we had three Germans on the podium stand and they decided to make a political statement out of it. Well, the Germans did make a political statement, even though Jesse Owens won, because they were allowed to use the Nazi salute during the Olympics. And the IOC said, oh, that's a national salute. So it's allowed. Okay. And you have to be, if you're going to say that we should embrace political messaging during the Olympics, you have to be able to accept that. Oh, only the politics I agree with. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess. And that's the, in my mind, that's the, that's the point. That's what makes it challenging. That's what makes this whole thing challenging is sports have an ability to cross political lines Mm -hmm. in terms of the people that they bring together. But that also means that you know, if you make a political statement because you're talking to usually a relatively diverse political audience, you're gonna piss some people off. So is it better to just leave that stuff out? I believe that the ability of people who say the things I agree with to get to do that, that they can actually have a forum using their celebrity as an athlete is so valuable that I would be willing to accept their people who I disagree with, who also get to use that power, because that's how free speech works outside of the context of professional athletes. What's the quote? I may disagree with you with what you have to say, but I'll defend to the death your right to say it. I mean, I'm not going to die for anybody, but like, I kind of get it, you know? And I think that's my view on, I mentioned Kyrie, if you're listening to this, (laughs) (laughs) one of our many celebrity listeners. Um, Yeah, I don't agree with it, but I'm, I'm very much not going to tell him that he shouldn't be able to say it. Even though his speech might be dangerous, specifically when we're talking about like the vaccination issue, does that cross a line? If we let everybody protest about whatever it is that they want, certainly some things are going to be said that we might not agree with, but maybe we just need to have faith in the famous quote, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. If we let everything said that wants to be said, eventually we move ourselves to a more moral world. Yeah, I guess because Kyrie Irving is out there saying what he has to say, he also has to listen to it when everybody else says what they have to say too. Maybe we'll get through to him. Exactly. Though for that specific example, 
as much as I'm saying he should have the right to his beliefs, he is benched, not because of his political speech, but because he's not, you know, so slightly different, but in the vein of the conversation, I suppose. So at the end of this, we have a a lot of things going on, a, a diverse fan bases with various opinions. We have the relationships between the fans and the athletes, the athletes and the corporations, the corporations back around to the fans again. What do you think, Kelly? Do athletes have the right and should they engage in political protest on the field, off the field? Yeah, I'm a firm believer in you don't leave your personality at home when you go to work. You carry all of your experience with you. You carry your trauma. You carry your race. You carry your identity with you when you go to work every day. And to ask people to set that aside for a paycheck is abusive. So I, I tend to agree that people should be able to protest when they're athletes, that they should be able to protest both as they are performing athletic activities, you know, kneeling during an anthem or wearing a specific insignia on their uniform or what, what have you, and off the field. And I recognize that that also means that people are going to be engaging in that type of expression whose opinions I don't agree with, but that's the cost of being able to have the people who I agree with get to say what they want to say. And I agree that the more we let people have that free exchange of ideas, the more we're going to get people on the right side of them, which is my side. (laughs) I think that you are just trying to make a case here for you to be able to keep your Timbers paraphernalia on your desk at work. I think that's your real motivation. I moved out of that desk technically, and I left a lot of timber stuff up at it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think I agree with most of what you're saying. People have a weird sense of ownership when it comes to professional sports. We, we call it, quote, my team, right? Mm-hmm. Like you even asked me at the beginning of the episode, what is your team? Very interesting way of putting it. People define their mood based on the performance of their teams. Fans engage in this weird role play where they wear the uniforms of their favorite players. It's basically Dungeons and Dragons for jocks. And somehow during all of this, they seem to develop a sense of entitlement that they're owed a say in how the team performs as they sit on their couches, having maybe played on their high school team 30 years ago. They want to tell the best coaches and players in the world exactly how they're fucking up. And I think that we've reached a point where that sense of ownership has bled into the personal lives of players as well, because because these fans watch them on TV on their team, they have a sense of entitlement that they can dictate what athletes should do, not just on the court, but off as well. And that seems a little bit ridiculous to me. It wouldn't happen in any other industry, any other job. And just because you have a twisted fantasy that you can see yourself as that player or being on that team doesn't mean that you have a right to tell them what they can and can't say. I think people might think that they have the right to tell us what we can and can't say. If they want to let us know Mm. what we should shut up about, maybe they can interact with us on Twitter or Facebook at IndubitablyPod. That was a good segue. That was clean. Thank you. We didn't have that scripted for our Mm -mm. listeners. Very. I'm I'm finally on it at the end of the recording. (laughs) <laughs> I, I like the YouTube videos that are able to just sneak in the like and subscribe when you're not expecting it. <laughs> That's what we're going to try and start doing on this podcast. Follow and comment at Indubitably Pod on Twitter and Facebook and smash that like button. The podcasts have a like button. Uh, you should rate us on whatever podcast venue you listen to us on. So Apple Podcasts or whatever. Give us those five stars. I actually think that Spotify just announced that they were adding in ratings. Yeah. So like we're starting on level pegging with everybody then. That's true. We are evenly unrated. So go rate us on Spotify. (laughs) All right. Or, or not, but come listen to us again. We appreciate you being here. And until next time, thanks for listening. And I hope your favorite sports team wins. Unless they're playing my favorite sports team. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.